0: You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father, we are indeed thankful that this salvation has been revealed to us. And Father, we ask today, if we are in Christ, that you would encourage our faint hearts. We thank you for the songs that we have sung, the prayers that we have prayed, the confession that we confess together. And Lord, we ask that you would use these things in your word right now to stir up our affections so that we might continue to persevere in the faith. And Father, for those who are here today who are not yet believers, whether they are young, whether they're children with their parents here today, whether they're first-time guests, whether they're older, Lord, we ask that you would be merciful to do the good work of redeeming grace, that you would command their hearts to obey your word and cause them to be born again by the Spirit of Christ. Father, we thank you that when we read your word, we can be confident that you, the one true and living God, are speaking to us. I pray, Father, for help right now in this time, and we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Amen. On June 17, 2015, Dylan Roof walked into a Bible study at Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, and murdered nine people simply because they were black. On July 30th, 1967, when she was 26 years old, Johnny Erickson dove into the Chesapeake Bay after misjudging the shallowness of the water and became a quadriplegic from the shoulders down. On July 18th, 2020, while helping a motorist alongside the road, John Powell was hit by an 18-wheeler, leaving his wife and four children behind. On April 9, 1945, Lutheran pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer was put to death by the Third Reich days before the liberation of his POW camp. In the midst of these sufferings, and sufferings like these miscarriage, cancer, dementia, Alzheimer's, divorce, the rebellion of children, the rejection of friends we may be prone to ask ourselves, is Peter's God so unfeeling, so uncaring that he would simply tell us, rejoice in trials, be happy in hardship, be joyful amidst all of life's pain? Grin and bear it. When life becomes difficult, when we face deep discouragement and agonizing loss, or ongoing pain, we set out on a search to find answers to questions that are significant. Why would God allow this to happen? What good can come from this? What will it look like for me to trust in God in the midst of this trial? Peter's told us, that the new birth that he's spoken about in verses 3 through 5, give these elect exiles living in the midst of pain a living hope, an inheritance of future salvation that can never be snatched away from them. But now in verses 6 through 9, Peter tells us that they are like gold, being refined. And suffering is the crucible that God uses to refine them. It is the pathway to godliness that passes the test on the last day. Two points will frame our time together, but each point has four subpoints. So I'm going to say point 1 and then I'll say first, second, third, fourth for the subpoints. Point 1, purposeful pain. Look with me again in verse 6. In this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christians, like non-Christians, suffer. But is there a purpose for it? Everything in us wants to scream, no. There is no purpose for suffering in this life. But that is not what Peter says, is it? He tells us that there is a purpose. His purpose statement is found at the very beginning of verse 7. So that. But we have to go through verse 6 to get to verse 7. So let's turn our attention there as we consider first the occasion for our rejoicing. In this you rejoice. The beginning of verse 6 actually elaborates on the phrase At the end of verse 5, the last time. Because the last time will be, Peter tells us, an occasion, verse 6, for our rejoicing when our salvation is finally revealed. Peter does not want us to miss this. So, careful readers noticed, the revelation of our salvation is at the top and the tail of the passage. Look again at the end of verse 5. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now look at the end of verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Brothers and sisters, what Peter is wanting us to see that it is our future salvation that actually provides the basis for our rejoicing now in the midst of trial and suffering. It is this Peter tells us that we have to keep before us and fight to keep before us when not if but when we suffer. Whether it is a result of our sin or the sin of other people. Whether it comes from those outside of the church or from those inside of the church. Whether it's a result of life circumstances or the seemingly random providences of life. It is focus on the imperishable, unfading, future salvation that is ours in Christ that becomes the source of our joy in the midst of present pain. Are you suffering? For those of you in this room who are suffering, for any of you who have, you know the temptation to focus on the suffering and not on the salvation, to fixate on the pain and never believe that there's a purpose, to accuse God because it all seems random. The certainty of future grace, Peter tells us, results in present rejoicing, not despair, Reflection on what God has done and will do overflows in rejoicing through, second, the occasion of our suffering, verse 6. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, as Peter transitions from ecstasy to agony, he comforts the afflicted by reminding them and us that we can rejoice in our suffering because it will not last forever. It strikes now, and it lasts for a little while, but it will one day pale in comparison to the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Far from being a promise that your suffering in this life will be brief, Peter is saying that the difficulty will be brief when compared with future glory, though it may endure for your entire lifetime, or as Paul says in Corinthians. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction. Now, when we read those words, and I read them to you now, I know that some of you are thinking, there's nothing light. And it hasn't been momentary. It's been my whole life. It's been literally years and decades in the making. Is Peter, like Paul... So unaware of the suffering of other people that he would say, whatever it is that you're suffering with, this light momentary affliction, when the reality is for many of you, it is crushing you. You're just shielding everybody from seeing it today. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Peter does not minimize the suffering that you or I or other people experience over the course of their life. Rather, as one pastor said, Peter wants us to see that compared to others and compared to a lifetime on earth, Your distresses may last a long time, not a little, but compared to eternity. Compared to the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, they are only there for a little while. And thankfully, Peter tells us, our sufferings are not the result of fate or an impersonal force of nature. Your sufferings, my sufferings, other people's sufferings, Our Peter tells us, necessary. That is part of the will of God. If you have your Bible, I want you to flip over to chapter 3, verse 17. Peter writes this. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now flip over to chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In no way does Peter mean that sufferings are somehow enjoyable or that you should simply grin and bear it or that a specific reason for something that you've done in your life can be attached to each specific suffering or that we should minimize all of the evil actions of other people when they inflict suffering on others. Rather, Peter is telling us that our suffering, just like our election, is ordained by God and is therefore not arbitrary or out of control. Now, I am aware that in saying that statement, I am raising painful And troubling questions for everybody in this room because we are not talking about something hypothetical. We're talking about your real life and the life of people that you love and the life of people that you have met and the lives of people sitting beside you right now this morning. Does God will the infidelity of your spouse? Does God will the depression that is crushing you in your life? Does God will your struggle with same-sex attraction? Does God will the loss of your job? Does God will the death of your loved ones? These are just a few of the many questions that are swirling around in everybody's heads right now. So we need to think carefully. And to think carefully, we need help. Help from the Spirit and help, I think, from trusted Christians. And I'm aware of no one in the last 50 years who has tried to think of this more carefully than John Piper. He writes this. To this question, does God will this? The answer is no, God does not will it, and yes, he does. No, in the sense that he does not delight in pain for its own sake, He does not command sin or approve of sinning. But yes, he does will that these things be, in the sense that he could prevent any of these things, but sometimes does not. But rather guides them because of higher designs than the destructiveness of sin or the deceitfulness of Satan or the painfulness of suffering. When Christians suffer for doing right, sin is happening to them. But 1 Peter 3.17 says that sometimes God wills that this happens. He does not endorse or approve sinning, but he can and does will that sinful acts come about for his own holy designs. When Christ was murdered on the cross, it was sin. But God willed that it happened. It was the will of the Lord to bruise him, Isaiah 53.10. And by that we are saved. Piper, like Peter, assures his readers and all of us in this room that God is working out his plan even in the midst of their pain and our anguish. And it is a comfort to us when you feel that your life has been hijacked by evil forces or has been tossed into the blender of capricious fate. God is ruling and reigning and bringing about his will for his own glory and your good in the midst of all of life's suffering and trials. Only because he understood this do we have this amazing statement at the end of the Brothers Karamazov. I have a childlike conviction that the sufferings will be healed and smothered over. That the whole offensive comedy of human contradictions will disappear like a pitiful mirage of vile concoctions of man's mind, feeble and puny as an atom. And that ultimately, at the world's finale, in the moment of eternal harmony, there will occur and will be revealed something so precious that it will suffice for all hearts to allay all indignation, to redeem all human villainy and bloodshed, it will suffice not only to make forgiveness possible, but also to justify every evil that has happened among men. Similarly, Peter reminds us of the fact that our suffering, whatever it might be in the room today, battle with mental depression, struggling with an eating disorder, and everything that you can think of in between, will be swallowed up by future grace as a way to comfort us when, third, we experience the varieties of our sufferings. You have been grieved by various trials. The Bible is very clear. It teaches us that suffering is the road that Christians must travel to enter into God's kingdom. From the breakup of a marriage to a battle with a diagnosis to struggles with sexual dysphoria to the rebellion of a child and the unbelief of a spouse. From loneliness and melancholy to alienation and marginalization. From state-sanctioned persecution to slanderous misrepresentation. The varieties of our sufferings take on many forms and they are more than one. We are not grieved by a trial in this life. We are grieved by various trials, by diverse trials, by many trials, more than one trial. You go out of one trial and into another trial. It is normal for Christians to face and to have to endure through trials and sufferings in this life. We live in a unique culture, Almost every other society before ours has reconciled the reality that life is full of sorrow. Just go and read the journals of other people who were before us, and it will be obvious that they understood this. They were never surprised by sufferings in this life because they saw it every day. They had to walk through graveyards to go to church. They passed dying loved ones in their house on their way out to work. They saw suffering and pain around them everywhere, but we've been able to defer it and hide it put it in a hospital, and move the graveyard down the street. We are the first culture surprised by suffering because we have believed the lie that we can be whatever we want to be and believe whatever we want to be, believe, and do whatever we want to do and have whatever we want to have and postpone death if we take enough of the right pills or avoid all of the wrong pills or go to enough doctors or avoid all of the bad doctors or eat enough of the right things or don't eat enough of the bad things. But in verse 6, Peter tells us that suffering is a given. And only when we acknowledge that reality will we see forth the purpose of our suffering in verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why is it God's plan for Christians to suffer? Verse 7 gives us the reason for why Christians suffer. Suffering functions as the crucible for our faith. It tests the genuineness of our faith, revealing whether or not our faith is actually authentic. Do we believe what we say that we believe? Have we trusted in what we say that we have trusted? Is our hope not in this life, but is actually in the next life? And Peter tells us, if faith proves to be real, the Christian will receive, verse 7, praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ returns. Not now, when Jesus Christ returns. We are longing for praise and glory and honor now. We want it now. We need it now. Now, but the Bible never promises it to you now. It says it is in the next life. Helping us see that there's a connection between our faith, this trusting in Christ, and our faithfulness in this life through suffering. Those who have faith, that is believe, will continue to have faith and trust in God when things are difficult. But just to make sure that we don't miss the point or see this connection, Peter contrasts authentic faith with gold. Approved faith, Peter tells us, is more valuable than gold because gold is temporary and perishes. But if that's not clear enough, he then compares faith to gold. For like gold, it is refined and proved through fire. Trials are fire, and they burn up all of the dross in our life, and they make our faith all the more pure and valuable because they reveal what do we believe what do we trust in who are we hoping in but they are described as fire because they are intense i'm aware that as i'm speaking to a room filled with real people the sufferings are intense And are in no way desirable. And some of you, if you're honest, say that you hate them. And if you're really honest, you would say that there have been many times that you have doubted God's goodness and his reality. They are painful. They are not joyful. They are anything but easy. And what we are seeing is that life as exiles is anything but easy. And yet, Peter tells us, by God's grace... The lives of Christians are filled with joy and not gloomy moaning. The CSB translation phrases it like this. You rejoice in this. Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The focus is on the value of genuine faith in God's sight. Verse 5, in the last time, in verse 7, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, Peter tells us that the purpose for our suffering is that our faith may be found to result in something, to result in praise, to result in glory, to result in in honor when Jesus comes. And on that day, when God examines everybody's life in here and everybody's life on planet Earth, on that day, we will be given a great reward. He tells us that we will receive the reward of our suffering because we have trusted in Christ in these difficult moments. The genuineness of our faith will be proved By the sufferings that we endured. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, your sufferings in this life are not wasted. They are not wasted. And I will say this to you, suffering people are gifts to the church. Because when you model for us perseverance in the faith, when you have every reason to walk away from it, you teach us how to hold Firm the faith in the Savior who has given his life for us. Thank you for keeping the faith, but know that we are here to help you keep the faith. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. Sufferings are an invaluable blessing. A, bring about an invaluable blessing, which is gained by the trial of our faith. The blessing gained is this, that our faith is tried and proved. The way of trying whether you are a good soldier is to go down into the battle. The way to try whether the ship has been well built is not merely to order the surveyor to come and to examine her, but to send her out to sea. A storm will be the best test of her staunchness. We need trials as tests as much as we need divine truth as our food. Admire the ancient types placed in the Ark of the Covenant of old. Two things were laid close together, side by side. The pot of manna and the rod. See how the heavenly food and the heavenly rule go together. How our sustenance and our chastening are equally provided for. A Christian cannot live without the manna nor without the rod. The two must go together. I mean this. That it is a great mercy to have your salvation proved to you under trial as it is to have it sustained in you by the consolations of the Spirit of God. Sanctified tribulations work the proof of our faith, and this is more precious than that of gold which perisheth, though it is tried by fire. Peter tells us that the pain is purposeful, that God brings suffering into the lives of believers to purify their faith and to demonstrate its genuineness. Purposeful pain, point two, painful joy. Look at verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 7 concludes with this hope that actually animates the believer's life and moves them forward into the future. And that Hope is, verse 7, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is actually a dominant theme throughout 1 Peter. If you just go back and read, you'll see three times the revelation of Jesus Christ is at central points in the letter. And now in verses 8 and 9, that belief animates the lives of these suffering elect exiles in four ways. It animates first their love for Christ, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Peter is not exhorting these suffering exiles. He's actually commending them. Though you have not seen him, you love him. He's commending them. He's not saying, you love him. He's saying, you love him even though you haven't seen him. Though they have never laid their eyes on Jesus, they love him. They love him in exile. They love him in the midst of slanderous misrepresentation. They love him all the way through their sufferings. They love him in the face of trials. They love him in spite of hardship. They love him even though they've been rejected. They love him even though they don't have everything that they wish that they had. They love him even though they have never seen him. They have every excuse to loathe Jesus. Yet Peter tells us they love him. Jesus Christ is precious to them. Is he precious to you? Is he precious to you? Do you love him? Not do you know facts about him. Do you love him? Is he precious? Are you grateful for Jesus and what he has done for you? Do you think of him first when you wake up and last before you go to bed? Is he consuming your thoughts in the middle of day? Do you love him? Though you have not seen him, you love him. Love Jesus. And that love overflows into, second their belief in Christ. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. They've never seen Jesus, and they do not see him now. Nevertheless, they believe in him. So Peter wants us to see. They haven't seen Jesus, and somehow that's animating their faithfulness in the present. They've never seen Jesus. It's not that they see Jesus now, and that's going to take care of all of the sorrow, and that'll push them forward into the future. They've never seen Jesus. They don't currently see Jesus. They've never had any interaction with Jesus, yet they love Jesus, and they believe in Jesus. In contrast to doubting Thomas in John's gospel, their believing, Peter tells us, is not based on sight. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, I wonder if this would describe the way that you would characterize your faith. Maybe not verbally, but perhaps by the way that you live. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Can you imagine? And see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. I too want to see Jesus. Blessed are those who have believed without sight. Who have kept the faith when all seemed lost. Who have loved the Savior when life is hard. Do you believe? You can believe today, right now. You can learn what Thomas did nearly 2,000 years ago, that Jesus' sufferings were real. That's why Jesus says, you want to see if my sufferings were real? Put your finger here. Stick your hand in here. That Jesus' sufferings were real. Jesus really bore the wrath that you deserved. Jesus suffered and died in your place. His body was broken. His blood was shed for you. Jesus Christ died for you. But that's not all. Jesus really rose from the grave. Jesus is really alive right now. Jesus is really Lord on earth and God in heaven. Jesus is really coming again. And if you believe, you too can be saved. You can be saved from your sin. Forgiven of all of the wrong that you have ever done in your life. You can be restored to a right relationship with God. You might not know that you need to be restored to a right relationship with God, but you do. You've been made in his image. You were created in his image and you have rebelled against him just like every single person who has ever lived on planet earth. And every single person who will ever live on planet earth. You have been separated from God because of your sins but you can trust in Jesus Christ today and you can be born again by the spirit of God and you can be raised to newness of life and you can be an inheritor of promises that are eternal and unfading, imperishable inheritance. You can be made right with God. You can know him today and believe in him for eternal life. All you have to do is repent. Turn away from your sin. Your sin is all of the wrong that you do. Everything that you think, everything that you do, everywhere you've ever been, every wrong that you've ever done, turn away from it and cling only to Christ. And there is no amount of what is back there in that sin that could keep him from receiving you. And the reality is, here's the truth, beloved, for all the believers in the room, there is no amount of sin that you have before you in your life that will ever keep Jesus from loving you. Jesus has loved you and he will always love you. Despite all of your constant failings, despite all of the times that you have rejected him and failed him and have sinned against him since the day of your salvation, he will always love you. He is faithful when you are faithless. You can believe in him today, unbeliever. And believer, you can trust in him afresh today. He will always, always forgive. Will you do that? Will you come to him today? We've read about his mercy earlier in our service. Jesus looked out on a tired and weary people and he said, come, come, all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Are you tired? Are you weary? You worn out by life. Come to Christ and receive mercy and peace and forgiveness and hope a sure and steadfast anchor for your soul in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You can believe in him right now. I'd love to talk to you more about believing in Jesus Christ. You can find me at the tunnel after the service today. If you're a man, I'd love to connect you to another man in this congregation. If you're a lady, I'd love to connect you to another lady in this congregation so that we can show you from the Bible what it means to believe and trust in Christ. These elect exiles, Peter tells us, are blessed, Because they are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Seeing will be their portion one day, verse seven, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, their lives are marked by believing, not seeing, believing in God's promises, believing in God's teaching, believing that he is coming again, believing that he is with them and he will never forsake them. Believing, and this believing is the stuff of salvation. And because they believe, They are faithful now. They're not waiting for the future to be faithful. They're not waiting for sight to be faithful. I wonder if some of you are waiting for some miraculous intervention in your life and you say, when that happens, when I have the mountaintop experience, I'll finally get serious about my faith. Brothers and sisters, said no one ever in the Bible. Believing, though you have not seen him, loving though you have not seen him in the past, trusting and being faithful now. And this is the cause for their third rejoicing in Christ. And rejoice, verse 8, with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The idea in verse 8 is the same word, and it is repeated from verse 6. Believers rejoice and they exult in Jesus Christ, even though they do not see him now. And that joy... Peter tells us, is a taste of heaven on earth because it is with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, or as the CSB says, a rejoicing with inexpressible and glorious joy. Peter wants these elect exiles to see that their hope is not dashed against the rocks because of the sufferings of this life and the troubles of this life and the hardships of this life and the pain of this life. They love Jesus and they believe in Jesus and they rejoice in Jesus even though they have never seen him and even though they do not see him now and even though they are currently suffering. All right, we need to catch that. They rejoice in Jesus though they've not seen him in the past. They do not see him in the present and they are currently suffering now They rejoice. They rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy that characterizes only the Christian life. They have present joy in the midst of current suffering. All of this prepares them for forth the reward in Christ. Look at verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls... As Peter transitions from verse 8 to verse 9, he contrasts the past and the present with the future, and in so doing, he actually provides the reason for their love and their belief and rejoicing in verse 9. For, you could say it like this, this is how you could read verse 9, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Or again, as the CSB translates it, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter is explaining why Christians are filled with love and joy for Jesus now. They have love and joy for Jesus now because of the prospect of future salvation when Jesus Christ returns. So, verse 8, they rejoice even though, verse 9, the outcome of their faith or the goal of their faith is future. Friends, Peter wants us to see that Christians are full of love and belief and joy, even now because of the hope of salvation. There is a real material salvation that we will experience. We will be in a new heavens and a new earth. We will be raised bodily from the grave. We will be vindicated We will live real lives forever with him. And we will rejoice with the unending day of life with Christ the Son as our light. A real material salvation, that that is, verse 9, the salvation of your souls. Peter is referring to the whole person. Body and soul, the entirety of a person, from beginning to end. The outcome or the result of faith, he says, is the salvation of our souls. Faith and faithfulness are inseparably linked for Peter. But the latter, faithfulness, is always rooted in the former, faith. We will only be faithful to Christ now when we have faith in Jesus and what he has done for us and for our salvation. Friends, I wonder if it's possible that your faithlessness in this life is actually revealing to you that you do not have faith in the Savior. Now, I know that's a startling thing to say, and I'm not here to just to try to cast out, but your faithlessness in life and your faithlessness in the midst of persistent sin perhaps might actually reveal that you do not have faith in Christ. It is the believer that presses through the suffering or the presence of ongoing sin, and is faithful because of the sure and steadfast anchor of their soul, that the day is coming when their faith will be sight. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, as we read earlier, to trust in him now. Faith and faithfulness are inseparably linked for Peter, but the latter is always rooted in the former In verses six through nine, Peter exhorts these elect exiles to remember what we are all so prone and so quick to forget that despite our present sufferings, we will see Jesus when he is revealed and we will enjoy him forever. And hence, Calvin said, It is necessary that we should cast our eyes on Christ if we wish in our afflictions to behold glory and praise. Do you enjoy Jesus Christ? Peter helps us see that duty and delight go hand in hand together. What is your only hope in life and death? And if we looked at your life closely, what would it reveal? What are you waiting for? Why aren't you being faithful to Jesus now and rejoicing now and trusting in him now and hoping in him now? Dan misspoke earlier saying that the Christmas season is coming upon us. Christmas started in October. Actively waiting, looking forward in great hope, with great anticipation, because of the joy that is set before us. Is God so uncaring that he passes over and paves over all of your suffering? Friends, Peter tells us no. God wants to heal you more than you want to be healed, and he uses suffering to dislodge us from our love affair with this world so that we would long for the next world, and in this we rejoice. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are suffering under the weight of Of unbearable pain. Some of it is psychological. Some of it is physical. Some of it is relational. All of it is devastating. None of it is pleasurable. God, we pray that you would sustain them, that they would keep themselves in the faith, and that you would keep them in the faith. Father, I pray for those who have been victimized and oppressed and abused. Physically or psychologically, Lord, may today be the way that you encourage them to come forward and seek help and refuge here at this church. May they come forward. We want to help. Father, we pray that you would help them to endure in this life despite the pain, that they would trust the Savior, that they would believe that they have not yet seen, because one day their belief will give way to sight. And on that day, on that glorious morning, there will be such great rejoicing that all of the sufferings of this life will be swallowed up by the eternal weight of glory that is before us. Father, I pray for those who are here today who know the sufferings of this life, but they do not know what it means to have faith in Christ. May they right now make a decision for Jesus Christ and turn to him in faith. May they believe in the Savior who will not only sustain them through the suffering, but will freely forgive them of all of their sin and he will resurrect them on the last day. May they trust the Christ. Father, we ask now that you would help our unbelief even as we sing. And perhaps today we would be good friends to one another and listen more carefully, more attentively, as we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And we ask all of this in the name of our God who has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Would you stand and continue in worship with us?